2020, what a year. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to joining us for our Christmas worship service. I uh, want to welcome those of you who are new here for the first time joining our worship. also want to welcome you, those who may have, have not been joining us for a while. We're so glad that you can be a part of us this morning as we worship Jesus Christ together. I think back in April, early on when COVID was sheltered in place, we were just starting to happen. I remember that day lining up at, at Sam's Club, just the line was going way out onto the street. And I, a thought came to my mind, and I, I really thought that, is that what it was like when it was in the war in America? Then, I, then a reality kind of kind of awakened me, and, and, and I realized probably is a lot worse, but that was the very first time that I felt fear inside my heart. And I was thinking, man, is, is COVID really, really going to ruin everything in this world? Are we not going to have food? Are we not going to be able to buy things? And I remember having a real sense of fear. And perhaps for you, there might be a moment that you remember how fear, uncertainty is starting to settle in because of COVID this year. You know, having fear is not an uncommon thing throughout the history of our humanity. Back in 722 BC, one of the prophets in the book of the Bible prophesied and telling the people at that time who was going through a tumultuous time, a chaotic time. The nation of Israel was once a thriving nation, but at that point, 722 BC, uh, God, be out of uh, his anger toward his people's uh, rebellion, uh, Israel, the Israelites' rebellion against God, God uh, decided to allow them to be attacked. And what happened was it was a chaotic time, time that loved ones was killed, families were broken up and destroyed, the land was devastated. One's proud nation was brought to his knee, very much so, kind of like what is going on in our country today through COVID. And it was at that moment the prophet Isaiah given the word of God to speak to his people, to give them hope that in the moment of darkness, God said, there will be hope for you. And the passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Out of that prophecy, God comforted his own people and said, Look, there will be a day that a child will be born and all things will be made well. God pointed his own people in the darkest period of their lives to this newborn child that will be coming. I believe that same hope holds true for us today. The only difference between the people that Isaiah was speaking to back then was that that event has not happened. But for you and I, by the mercy of God, that event had already happened over 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ was born into this world. This prophecy was fulfilled by the birth of Jesus into this world. And so I believe this year, while it may be one of the hardest years uh, that we've ever faced because of COVID, we can find hope just like the people back in 700 BC. We can look to an event for them that will happen for us that already happened. We can look to the birth of Jesus and can find hope. See, the prophecy that we just read earlier involved four beautiful, beautiful names of Jesus Christ. While he did not use the name Jesus, 
it was making reference to this newborn child over 2,000 years ago. You know, I have three sons. Um, naming a son, naming a kid is extremely hard, harder than you think. For many of you who may not have, have your own children, you might think, how hard is it to come up with a name? There are so many factors involved. And one is you need to make sure that, that that matches with your last name. See, our last name is only one syllable. So you don't want a one-syllable name match with a one-syllable last name. You just sound really boring. You want a, a name that, that is meaningful. You don't want any other name. Uh, you want a name that your relatives, particularly if they're Chinese, they can pronounce. So you need to avoid TH sound, R sound, L sound, S at the end of the name. All those words are difficult for Chinese to pronounce. All the more, you need to avoid the name of the annoying friend or neighbors, relatives that you have. You need to avoid your ex-girlfriend's name or your wife's ex-boyfriend's name. Just so many things to, uh, to, to factor in. Uh, our three sons' names are Luke, Caleb, and Josiah. And we came up with those names because of the meaning of those names. Luke represents light. Caleb represents faithfulness. And for Josiah, represent healing. And we pray and pick those names and pray that God will use them, our, our sons, to bring light to the world, bring healing into the world, and be faithful to God. This is altogether a little bit different than the names that Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. You see, the name that Isaiah, God through Isaiah gave to Jesus, wonderful counselors, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, those are na not names that God wished upon Jesus to be. Those are simply names that Jesus will, become, will be already by the time he was born. It was not so much that, oh God, I, God was wishing that this child would be these things. God knew that his child will be these things for us. And this is the reason why today I just want to bring us in and walk through all four of these names. Because I believe each one of these names tells us why Jesus Christ was the best gift that we can receive in this Christmas. In fact, Jesus' birth on earth was radically good and life-changing for any one of us who put our faith in them. So the first name I want to look at today based on this verse is this, is the Wonderful Counselor. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He is the most awesome helper that we will ever have. He's, the, he's more awesome than Siri, uh, Alexa, or any other Google Assistant or the future virtual assistant, the voice assistant you will ever find. He is the best helper that we will ever get, we will ever experience. There are three reasons why. I want to tell you the first reason is simply that. He gets it. Jesus understood. Jesus went through all the trials and tribulations, the, the, the valleys of our lives. It was in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. The author of Hebrews talked about Jesus in this way. He says, For we do not have a high priest, namely Jesus, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's so often that we forget that Jesus actually came out of a really poor background. The moment he was born, he was born in a manger. Kind of like an animal, animal shelter, like a, like a feeding trough. I mean, for, for, for many of us, we were born, it may not be in the best hospital, but at least it was in a hospital. It was not smelly, it was not stinky, it was sterilized. Jesus was born into this world in a place where no mother back then or now want to give birth to. 
but he also had a very poor upbringing. His father was a carpenter. He lived through his life, as far as we know from Scripture, kind of really not having a permanent place to stay in. When his followers followed him, he basically told them that I don't have a place to even lay my head on. So Jesus grew up poor, but not only that he was poor, he was opposed in every front. He was opposed by people of power. He was opposed by people who were the religious leader at the time. He was opposed by those who are rejected by his own, own disciples. He was ridiculed on the cross. He was ridiculed given the worst punishment there is in the Roman Empire to those who don't uh, even, uh, would not execute those who are even Roman citizens. He was abused physically. He was abused emotionally. He was misunderstood. He was misrepresented. He was mischaracterized. Jesus in every way had gone through the worst of the worst. While circumstances might not be the same as yours and mine, he had gone through pain, sorrow. And because of that, he gets what you are struggling through. He gets what I'm struggling through. And that made him uniquely a wonderful counselor. He not only does he gets it, Jesus also is a great, wonderful counselor because he is more than just a therapist. I remember talking to a friend of mine who happens to be a therapist. He was just sharing just how frustrated it is as he's doing counseling with these young people. And, and, and as much as he wants to change them, give them solution and help them to uh, walk through their grief and, their tri- and, and difficult things in their lives, he felt so helpless. Because on one hand, he could tell them what is wrong. On the other hand, he could tell them how he can fix their lives, how they can fix their lives. But at the end of it all, it depends on that person to do it themselves. And so as a therapist, you are limited in every way. But Jesus is more than just a therapist. The scripture tells us, Isaiah told, he is a wonderful counselor. Here's what's the difference between a counselor that is referring to here than therapist. A counselor, what Isaiah is talking about, is one of power. He doesn't just tell you what's wrong with your life. He doesn't just tell you the solution for your life. He enables us, give us power to overcome the trials and difficulties and weaknesses of our lives. You see, he is so much more than just a human therapist. Hebrews chapter 4, going on in verse 16, the verse we read earlier that Jesus gets our weaknesses, but not only does he get it, he can do something about it. Verse 16 said this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, Jesus is a wonderful counselor because he doesn't just tell you that you need to fix your life, you need something wrong with your life. He said when you're in trouble, you can come before him. He is sitting on a throne, you can come before him, you can go face to face with him, and you get to receive mercy, you can find grace in times of need. He doesn't just ask good questions. He's not only a good listener and all, while he may be all of those things, most importantly, he gives us the power to overcome our weaknesses, our sins, and everything that we come across. Our loneliness, our temptations. He has felt it all, has gone through it all, and now he has given us the power. Now here's the third reason. Not only he gets it, he also is better than a therapist because of his power and given us the power. Here's the third reason. He is a wonderful counselor because he doesn't want to just fix you, but he wants to be with you. 
He doesn't want to just fix your problem. He actually wants to be with you. I remember when my kids, when they get scared, maybe there's a, a cricket jumping in the house or, or something scared that, that they watch on the TV. While I know the first thing they might want me to do is get those things out of their way, keep it out of the line, sight, uh, line of sight, but what's most important to them is not that I get rid of their problem, but it's for dad to be with them, to put his arms around them, to hug them and say everything is going to be okay. See, Jesus is not just a, 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 a God who just said, oh, I'll fix your problem and leave you alone. He wants to be with us. In fact, he so wants to be with us that he doesn't guarantee us the absence of troubles in our lives. But he guarantees his presence with us. No matter what we're going through. Oh, of course, there are going to be things that are challenging in our life. There are going to be things that we will, we will get hurt by. But Jesus said, I am that wonderful counselor that will walk with you, as the song says, talks with you along life's narrow way. That is the wonderful counselor that we have. So that's the first thing we know. We see, you see, Jesus is who he is, is so much better than what he does for us. He doesn't want to just do things for us, but he wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. Not only does he want to change our life, he wants to have a relationship with us. You see, being a Christian is so much more than just abiding by rules, but is really living in a relationship with this most wonderful counselor. And that's the first thing we see, that Jesus is the most wonderful counselor that we can have in this life and the life to come. But the verse went on, it's the second thing, second name that Jesus has is this, not only is he a wonderful counselor, but he is also our mighty God. Our mighty God. God, perhaps with a short word, three-letter words. Yet oftentimes it can have every other meaning that people might have, they might want to have for themselves. Some people see a tree to be a God. Some people see a sun to be a God. Some people look at the dirt to be a God. Some people look at a statue to be a God. Some people even look at themselves and say, I am God. But Isaiah has a very, very specific God that he was talking to. He was talking about, he was naming. When he called Jesus to be the mighty God, he's talking about the God of the Bible. You see, the God of the Bible, the word God actually is not God's name. God is actually only the title of the most high being. Uh, back in my old church in, uh, in Alhambra, uh, we used to have a leader. His name is Elder Chu. Uh, we call him Elder Chu because he holds the title of elder, the biblical position of a leader in our church. So we just get used to calling him Elder Chu. But what, 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 what we didn't realize is that because we call him so often as Elder Chu, we rarely actually use his real name. Many of the kids at church really thought Elder Chu's first name is Elder and his last name is Chu. So they really thought, wow, this guy's name is so fitting that he's called Elder because his first name is Elder. But really, what they didn't know is that that name is actually just a title. You see, the same way with God. God is just a title for the most high being in this universe, in the heavens and earth. God actually has a name. 
It was in a burning bush. If you remember that story, ever heard of that story, Moses came in that burning bush, and there this glow and burning uh, fire going on in the bush, and, and he encountered God for the first time. God told Moses, I've seen my people being oppressed. I've seen my people suffer, and I want to rescue them and release them and free them. And I'm going to choose you, Moses, to do this. And so Moses was getting kind of scared, but at the same time, he's excited. So he said, God, if you're God, what is your name? And so God answered him. And God said, my name is I am. Now, you're not going to find the word I am in the English Bible because I am actually are made up of four letters and four characters in a Hebrew language. But what you will see in the Bible is whenever you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized, or in some translation, Jehovah, that literally is the word I am. It is the name of God. God said, my name is I am. And what, God, when what God's trying to say to Moses, and I think for all of us, is this, that God is God is going to be the one that is all we need. God is going to be everything that we will ever need. Because he is the creator of the universe, creators of heavens and earth. He is everything for us. And so while Moses was studying and worrying about, I can't help these people. I'm not strong enough. I'm not, I'm not talkative enough. I'm not skillful enough. God basically was telling him this. Everything that you are not, I am. I like how one pastor, J.D. Greer, said it this way. He says that God's amness is greater than our notness. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're tall or short, whether you're Christian or not, we all struggle. We all struggle with our identity. We struggle with our, 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 our security in this life. We struggle to have hope, especially during this COVID season. We got hurt, we have failures to deal with. And all the while, God said, everything that you are not, I am. Everything that you don't have, I am. It is so interesting. Throughout all of Scripture, God continued to build, to, to fill in the blank sort of way with the word I am, with his name I am. For those who feel that they, for those who have felt that they have, they have a guilty past, they're ashamed of the things that they've done in their past. God declared himself to be Lord, I am, Mekotishkem. A Hebrew word that says, God, I'm God, I'm the Lord who purifies and cleanses you. I am, the I am is the one who can clean you even with the most despicable thing you have done in the past if you're willing to ask for forgiveness. I will cleanse you from inside and out. That's why we, fear, we hear stories that people who might be a mobster, a gangster, can turn their life inside and out to be a Christian and trust in Jesus, not because of who they are, but because we have I am who can cleanse us and purify us. To those who might feel alone, depressed, and isolated, I am, God said, I am Lord Shema, meaning I am the one who is ever-present. I will be with you, not just in your good time, I'll be with you in your, in your bad time. I will be with you when no one else will stand around you. And I will be with you if you trust me, even beyond this world. For those of us who have serious scars in our lives, perhaps you've been hurt by people who are close to you. People who took advantage of your trust. 
Things that should have never happened to you happen to you. Evil, sinful things that happen to you. And you wonder if those scars would ever be, be removed, if those scars would ever heal. I am God. Lord, I am, said, I am Lord Rapha. I am the healer. That I will heal you, though you may see scars still in your hand, scar in your heart, just like Jesus after he died and resurrected. There might still be scars. You will never be defined by those wounds once again. Jesus said, I can, I am the healer. I can heal you. If you're afraid of death, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of the life. If you feel lost in your life, he said, I am the good shepherd. I will lead you, be my sheep. Everything that I am not, Jesus said, I am. He is that mighty I am. Everything you don't have, Jesus says, I am. That is who we have in Jesus, a mighty God. Not only is he a mighty God, a wonderful counselor, we move on to the third name. He says this, Isaiah says this, he said he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God. He is also our eternal father. Some of you might be thinking eternal father. Like I don't, I don't believe in the Bible. I've never read through the Bible. I don't go to church very often. But even then I knew that Jesus was never married, nor did he ever have kids. So how can he possibly be the father for us? See, those of us who believe in the, in the scripture knows that there is God the father, Jesus Christ being the son. How can the son be the father? What Isaiah is pointing out here for us is that Jesus will be the representation for us of who God the father is. Jesus, while he's not really our father, but he acts like a father for us, very much the same way that I get the honor and privilege to be a fatherly figure in different seasons of my life to other young men. Young men who perhaps have no earthly fathers or young men perhaps have early fathers that had abandoned them. I was never their biological father but I have the privilege to be a fatherly figure for them. But when Isaiah called Jesus to be an eternal father, he's so much more than what I could be for these young men. In fact, Jesus being the eternal father means he is going to be, he is the father that you and I can never, as fathers can aspire to be ourselves, we will never be as perfect as father as he is, but more than that, he is going to be the father that perhaps you never had in your life, or the ones that, that you have seen, you've been hurt by, or even the best of father that you ha may have on earth, Jesus will be a better father. See, Jesus is that father that delights in us, that will never depend on us to prove ourselves to him. See, Jesus is that eternal father that loves us in spite of us. Another prophet says this in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord, remember, the Lord means L-O-R-D, capitalized means I am God. The name of God, your God, is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This verse tells us God delights in us and he sings over us. Perhaps some of us will keep trying to earn approval from our Father. 
Jesus doesn't need us to earn his approval. Jesus loves us in spite of us. Jesus sings over us. And he even died for us. See, Jesus also is a father who is ever so patient with us. Jesus is not that father waiting at home, waiting for you to get it wrong, to yell at you. He's not that father that says, hey, why don't you do it right for, for the first time? He's not a taskmaster. Exodus chapter 34, the Lord I am. Jesus passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And how we long to have earthly father like that. Gracious, merciful, forgiving, slow to anger. And as a father myself, I know how I'm so far short of this standard. And yet Jesus is every way like that for me and for my kids and for you. But not only that, Jesus is also the father who is emotionally connected with us. This is particularly hard for many of us who are Chinese or Asian. When we grew up in a family where there aren't a whole lot of emotions being displayed, but Jesus is that father that he described in Luke chapter 15. Even when the younger son abandoned him, took all his inheritance, left and waste all his money, decided to come home. That father, Jesus, is that father who is emotionally connected and loved that son even though he has squandered his inheritance away. So much that this man of dignity and authority picked up his robe and ran after the son and embraced him. You see, there is a deep sense of love that Jesus has for us. It is more than just words. It is connected. He's not emotional, isolated. From, he genuinely shows in love in every way possible. But most importantly, Jesus is the father who is eternal. That's why Isaiah said he is eternal. If, if, if your earthly father can be the most patient man, can be the most emotionally connected man, can be a man who loves you no matter what, this is the one thing that he can't do, is that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. The best thing an earthly father can do is prepare to set his son or daughters up for, for success in the rest of his life. The best thing he can do might be just save us so many and give him a huge inheritance. But the problem for that is those money can only be used in this world. We have an eternal father in Jesus that not only walks with us in our struggle in this world, but he prepared for us for the next life, for eternal life to come. Shortly before he left, about to be betrayed, hung on the cross, he spoke to his disciples. He instructed them and assured them this promise. In John chapter 14, he says this. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. See, Jesus is the only father who is eternal that can go ahead of us to prepare a place for us. A place in heaven that we will never experience sorrow, pain, hurt ever again. And he's there to prepare a place for us. And for those who put their faith in Jesus, 
not only is he helping us in this life, but he is preparing a much better place for us in the future when we when he returns and he says we will be with him. And where he will be, we will be as well. That is the eternal father that we have. So Jesus Christ, a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father. And last, certainly, but not least, Isaiah reminds us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. One of the biggest challenges against Christianity, and particularly about Jesus, is this claim that there will be peace on earth. That promise that peace will be on earth as Jesus was born. After all, in Luke chapter 2, when the angels sang and declared to the shepherd that Jesus was born, they proclaiming, saying this in verse 14, chapter 2, that glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Many people struggle with this promise because as far as we know, and you must be living under the rock to know that our world is not at all at peace. Countries are fighting against countries. Political parties are fighting against political parties. Even Christians are fighting other Christians. Churches are fighting against other churches. So how can it be that when Jesus was born, it was said that peace would come on earth? I mean, we've given enough time for 2,000 years. There's still no peace on earth. So either Jesus is lying or he's not who he claimed to be. But what if I tell you that this promise has already been fulfilled, but the problem is not so much about the world, but the problem is really about us. What if the problem of peace has nothing to do with external circumstances, but everything to do with our internal relationship with God? You see, for many of us, when we think of peace, we're thinking external circumstances. How I'm doing with this person. How this country is doing with this country. How my circumstances are stacking up to, to my satisfaction, my, com, uh, my com, uh, com comfort, and my security. And so when those things are not working out, we have no peace. Everything is external. But what if? What if the peace that Jesus promised has nothing to do with external but at everything with our internal relationship. That it is not so much the horizon, our horizontal dysfunction of our lives, lack of peace in our lives actually has its roots in our vertical disconnection with God. That the reason why we find no peace, have no peace, is because we did not have peace with God in the first place. What if that the reason why we can't get along with one another it's because both of us never have peace with God in the first. We never experienced peace with God in the first place. From the very beginning of the Bible, we see Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And as a result of that, the relationship with God has been broken, has been ruined. As a result, they find no peace because God is the only peace that can satisfy them. And so they have tried to fill their hearts with many other things, but none of those things work. This is the reason why the same prophet Isaiah prophesied later on in his book in chapter 57, verse 20 and 21 says this. The reality of every one of us who have no peace with God, who have sinned against God, who have no relationship with God, this is the reality. Look at what it says. But the wicked 
wicked, those of us who have sinned, those of us who have no relationship with God, who have not been forgiven, the wicked are like the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. See, the reality of our lives for every one of us who have not have our sins forgiven by God, we have no peace with God. It says the wicked, there's no peace for the wicked. There's no peace with us because we never have this relationship restored with God. So as a result of that, we are like that tossing sea. Imagine a boat in, a, in the ocean. You imagine swimming in the ocean. There's a wave coming at you. You try to swim against that wave. The next thing you know, you get crashed down again. You go the other way. Another wave crashes on you. You just go back and forth. Maybe stir up a lot of dust, a lot of dirt, but you are going nowhere. And for many of us, that is exactly the picture of our lives. Everywhere we go, everything's what we do, every person that we interact with, there's no peace because we are trying to find something, uh, find something that those people cannot give us. We're trying to find approval from people, but when the only approval we need is from God. We're trying, to, we're trying to find acceptance through relationship, but those people disappoint us. Those people uh, exclude us. We're trying to be freed with alcohol, with drinks, with drugs, with entertainment, but we end up feeling, feeling enslaved by those things when in reality only God can free us. We're trying to find purpose through the American dream. Go to school, get good grades, get good jobs, get good spouses, get good kids, get good retirement. And there's one thing we learned through COVID is that things that this world just never satisfied. For every one of you student, you thought that staying at home would be the coolest thing on earth. Not going to school. Some of you, I know you have said it many times, you wish you can go back to school, even with homework and tests and all. Some of us thought that, oh, it would be so cool to stay at home to what binge watch all day. You were getting tired of what binge watching. You're running on all the show to watch. You see, none of the things in this world could satisfy us, would give us peace. And unless we turn to God, there will be no peace. Unless we have peace with God, we're settled in our relationship with God. We'll keep trying and, and, and grabbing things around us and satisfy us and only to be disappointed again and again and again. So the question is, how do we find peace? How can we be restored in our relationship with God? How can we have peace with God? The answer lies in not what you do, but what already has been done for you. See, Jesus has come on earth to die for you. See, what does it take for us to have peace? We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness of sin, but that's not something we can achieve on our own. Forgiveness comes at a price. Think of the last time you have actually forgiven someone. When you chose to forgive someone, what you're doing is you're eating the wrong that they've done for you. You chose to look past the wrong that they've done against you. By taking and paying the price of being hurt. By being affected by what they've done. You have paid a price so that that person can be forgiven. The same is true be between us and God. But the problem is we cannot pay the price. So what God does is he loves us. He said, I will pay the price. So not only did Isaiah prophesy about his birth, he also prophesied about Jesus' death. In Isaiah 53 verse 5. 
another prophecy about this Jesus would be born. But he was born for a particular reason because here's what he says. That this, this Savior, this Messiah, he would be pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, you and I have forgiveness, can have forgiveness because Jesus paid a price. The punishment, the cost, the debt that we owe so that it will bring peace to us. Jesus' death on that cross is the necessary price for us to gain peace. And there's nothing we can do that can bring peace to ourselves. See, we can be settled in our relationship with God so that we no longer depend on other people. We can, we can have purpose in our life. We can have a security that's beyond us. All of those things because Jesus had died for us. We have a future that's far better than what this world can guarantee us because Jesus has died for us. And when I am, have the deep seed of peace between me and God, even death in this world cannot rock my world. But the question that we need to ask ourselves, I believe the most important question that we can ask ourselves in this Christmas is this. It is not so important that we ask ourselves how much we know about Jesus. Because the most important question is not how much we know about Jesus, but whether we truly receive Jesus. You see, one, one can say, I know so much about Jesus and yet not receive Jesus genuinely. I give you examples. Satan knows Jesus very well. In fact, I cannot think of anyone else in all of the universe that, be, that would know Jesus better than Satan. But yet the problem with saying that he's not a child of God is not because he doesn't know about Jesus. It's because he never received Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. In the New Testament, John chapter 1, verse 12, the apostle John tells us how to be a child of God. In, the, in, this, in this verse, he says this, but to all who did receive him, to who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name. There are two words there, two parallel words that, that's very important. You see, becoming a child of God, God, John tells us, is not so much that you know about God. But what you need to do is you need to genuinely believe about God. And what believe means is not just agreeing, mentally uh, agreeing that Jesus exists, Jesus all this, and all the things that we, all the names that we learn. Believing genuinely at his core means I receive him. That he is not, he's not just a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, and prince of peace. But receiving him, believing him means Jesus is my wonderful counselor. He is my eternal father. He is my mighty God. He is my prince of peace. That's what it means to receive Jesus. And in order to say that he, to believe in him, to receive, what we need is we need to acknowledge that we can't do any of it on our own. That I actually need the counsel, the counsel of this wonderful counselor. That I am not God, that he is mighty God. That I have no peace on myself. I can find peace in this, in this world. I cannot find peace in this world, but I can only find peace in the Prince of Peace. 
that I have no father that can love me the way Jesus, the eternal father, will and can. See, that's what it means for us to receive Jesus, to know, to surrender our lives in exchange for him to be our wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, and prince of peace. I believe that is the gift. That is where we need the hope that we need to endure the COVID or not or in the next pandemic that's coming up. See, we don't need gifts wrapped around uh, with, uh, with gift, uh, wrapping paper and put under the tree. We need the gift that is wrapped in a swaddling cloth over 2,000 years ago, born in a manger, and ultimately hung on the tree for you and I. We need that gift. We need the gift of Jesus Christ in our lives. And the question I want to ask you today is this. Have you received this gift in your life? Have you said to him, I don't want to live according to my way anymore. I want to live with you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you to be my counselor. I need you to be my mighty God. I need you to be my eternal father. I need you to be principal. I don't want my own anymore. I want you. If that's what you want to do today. If you want to receive in Jesus, believe in Jesus and receive in Jesus today. In a minute, I'm going to pray for us. And you can follow along this prayer. This is not a magic formula that you pray this. Magic would happen. This is a simple declaration of your inner desire to want to receive Jesus into your life. To experience his grace and love in your life. And as a result that you will be born as a child of God. Born again as a child of God. Sins forgiven. Eternal, eternal life guaranteed. If that's what you want to do. If that's what you have in your heart. You might want, even wondering. I don't even know why I want to do it. You might be thinking. I never come in listening to this. Wanting to even believe in Jesus. But somehow there's a yearning in your life for that. I want to ask that you will pray with me. And if for those of you who might feel like I'm not ready yet, I don't know what, I don't know, I don't really well, well ready to take that next step. I want to encourage you. Open up a scripture. Ask a friend who invited you to read the scripture together. Discover this Jesus that we believe, this Jesus that we receive, this wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, because he's waiting for you to come home. So again, for those of you who want to receive this great gift of life, through Jesus, would you join me in prayer? You can repeat in your heart and pray with me in this way. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I know that I need you. I receive you as my wonderful counselor. Come and guide my life. I know that you are my mighty God. You have the right to rule my life and rule everything that I do. I need you as my eternal father. Thank you for loving me in spite of me, in spite of all my sins. And I invite you to be my prince of peace. Forgive, for, forgive me for every sin that I've ever committed and the sin that I will commit even after following you. Restore peace in my life between me and you. So that I can live for you and experience you and be reunited with you one day when you return. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Father God, I just want to pray for every person who have prayed that prayer. Thank you for giving them faith. Thank you for speaking to them. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will, will affirm their faith and their trust in you. God, be with them. Protect them as the enemies certainly would not be joyful in hearing about that. But thanks be to you that you have given them the greatest gift that they can ever receive, the gift of eternal life. And God, I also want to pray for those who might be struggling to pray that, who, who might want to do it, but there might be some timidity, that uh, fear keeping them from, doing, from praying. God, I pray that you will speak to them, comfort them, encourage them, reveal yourself in a powerful way to them so that they will turn their lives to, to you in exchange to experience the greatest joy that they will ever have through Jesus. Father, thank you for this time that we can, sh we can share your word, Lord, I pray for everyone who's struggling in their walk with you, everyone who is in despair, living in hopelessness. God, be their joy, be their hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.